Hi, and welcome back to Spatulas and Speculations. I am your unofficial Professor Lily, and this is the unofficial SJM 101. And today we're going to be doing a canonic episode, sort of, and well, sort of as in I'm going to be questioning literally everything we talk about because that's just the way that I am. And to talk about this very canonic episode, we're going to be talking about things from all three series. So if you haven't finished reading everything by SJM, then save this, follow me, come back, and join the conversation when you are done. So, with the spoiler warning out of the way, today we're going to be talking about the trove. And there are going to be pieces of the trove that I think have been left in all three series, definitely in two of them, mostly in Akatar, and then talked about a little bit in Crescent City, and then I think we can see some imprints in Throne of Glass. So, there's that spoiler warning. And then, um, I just want to kind of, like, I'm going to have to rush a little bit because today's the only day that I get to record and um, there's supposed to be massive thunderstorms. So I'm trying to see if I can beat the rain, but I don't know if that's going to happen because I do tend to ramble. So I don't speak for Sarah. I don't speak for Bloomsbury. These are my thoughts. These are my opinions. This is what I've gathered today, especially we're going to be talking about myths and we'll try to see some outside influence as we always do in the SJM world. So if I pronounce anything wrong throughout the episode, just have grace for me. I'm learning. I'm trying. Okay. Um, I don't, I don't know what other, I don't know what other warnings I have. I kind of forgot how I do this intro for some reason. I think I'm just going to jump into it. So the trove, there's, there's quite a few troves actually. Trove is a, is a typical word to describe a bundle of things. There's the Hewen City Trove. Hybern has an unholy trove. The Weaver has a trove. Like, it, it's, there are other troves, but specifically today, we are just going to be talking about the Dread Trove, which was um, the main plot point of A Court of Silver Flames outside of Cassian and Nesta's sexual exploitations and Nesta's overall healing journey. The Trove was, I think, fascinatingly enough, it was brought into play in chapter 20 of Akasif. For something that is so predominant in the book, it's brought in rather late, which I find, like I said, fascinating, very fascinating. But you do see like the buildup through it when, when they're talking about Kashi. I don't know. Because um, he kind of is the one to to start the conversation of the Dread Trove being brought back into play, which I find really, really fascinating. So we're going to read through a good chunk of Akasif 20, kind of treat it as a chapter breakdown, because as you guys know, that's just how my brain works the best and how it's the easiest for me to give you guys a ton of information is just by breaking down a chapter and just throwing in the pieces where they belong. And this is a chapter where we get the most information about the Dread Trove. So this is going to be in... Nesta's perspective, they are discussing the Dread Trove for the first time, and we get just, honestly, if you want to know about the future of Akatar, I suggest you look at this chapter, and then also look at the chapter, um, I think it's chapter 7 of Akasif, when Cassian is at the Band of Exiles house in the human realms, and Iris is there, and they're just kind of, like, going back and forth about the history of Perithian, and how it's, ten it's starting to repeat itself, and I think that's definitely 
most definitely the direction that Akatar is going, especially when you count into the fact that Moore was gathering information at the library to help her with what she was doing in Valheim. So history of Perithian seems to be the most important clue that we have for the future plots of Akatar, which I actually think is just like a really cool and subtle way that Sarah is just like, okay, this is, we did the war, we did Highburn, which also history was a huge important piece to all of that. But she's like, now let's, let's dig a little bit deeper. Let's go a little bit deeper and kind of turn this or not even turn, like we're forking off the road kind of thing. And I just kind of love that. So if you want to know the future of Akatar, definitely, definitely reread those chapters. Um, there's just tons of information packed in there, and I think it's just so good. So, Akis of 20, we're going to read through it, and then we're going to break down. I should also note, yes, we have talked about the trove, but we've never talked about it just singularly in its own kind of element, canonically, and... The, one of the reasons why I started this podcast was to discuss the very important, in-depth, canonic lore in the SJM universe because I know these things are going to be important going forward, especially because the horn, which is a suspected object of the trove, is such a predominant piece in the Crescent City series that I think that the trove is going to come into play, at least in some way, in House of Flame and Shadow. So, without further ado, Nesta's Perspective, Chapter 20 of Akasif. I'm going to read a little bit before, so you get the whole piece, and then um, I will read a little bit after, so it's not like I'm only giving you the information I deem important, So, because I don't ever want to do that. I don't want you to ever think that I'm trying to twist information to my benefit, even though today's not really a theory episode at all. So, but still, the the... The saying, the meaning is still there. They're talking about Bryellen and uh, Kashi. Hopefully I'm saying those right. <laughs> She'll never attain the cauldron, Amran said, waving a hand gleaming with rings. No one but us, Miriam, and Draken know where it is hidden. Even if Bryellen did uncover its location, there are enough wards and spells on it that no one could ever breakthrough. Bryellen knows this, Asriel said gravely. Nesta's stomach churned. Asriel nodded to Cassian. What Vassus suspected is true. The Death Lord Kashi has been whispering in Bryellen's ear. He remains trapped at his lake, but his words carry on the wind to her. <sighs> he is ancient. His depth of knowledge is fathomless. He pointed Braylon towards the dread trove, not for her sake, but for his own ends. He wishes to use it to free himself from his lake, and Braylon is not the puppet we believed her to be. She and Kashi are allies. He added to Cassian, You need to ask Eris whether Baron knows about this, and the trove. Cassian nodded to the ensuing silence. And Nesta found herself asking, what's the dread trove? Amran's eyes glowed with a remnant of power. The cauldron made many objects of power long ago, forging weapons of unrivaled might. Most were lost to history in war, and when I went into the prison, only three remained. At the time, some claimed there were four. 
or that the fourth had been unmade, but today's legends only tell of three. The mask, Reese muttered, the harp, and the crown. Nesta had a feeling none of them were good. Feyre frowned at her mate. They're different from the objects of power in Hewen City. What can they do? Nesta tried her best to forget that night she and Amran had gone to test her so-called gift against the horde of those unhallowed catacombs. The objects had been half imprisoned in the stone itself, knives, necklaces, orbs, and books all shimmering with power. None of it pleasant. For the dread trove to be worse than what she had witnessed? The mask can raise the dead, Amran answered for Reese. It is a death mask, molded from the face of a long-forgotten king. Wear it, and you may summon the dead to you. Command them to march at your will. The harp can open any door, physical or otherwise. Some say between worlds. And the crown... Amran shook her head. The crown can influence anyone even piercing through the mightiest of mental shields. Its only flaw is that it requires close physical proximity to initially sink its claws into the victim's mind. But wear the crown, and you could make your enemies do your bidding, could make a parent slaughter their child, aware of the horror, but unable to stop themselves. And these were lost, Nesta demanded. Reese threw her a frown, those who possessed them grew careless. They were lost in ancient wars or to treachery or simply because they were misplaced and forgotten. What does it have to do with the cauldron? Nesta pushed. Like calls to like, Feyre muttered, looking to Amran, who nodded. Because the trove was made by the cauldron, so might the trove find its maker, she angled her head. Briellen was made, though. She can't, can't she track the cauldron herself? Amran drummed her fingers on the arm of her chair. The cauldron aged Brylin to punish her. A glance at Nesta, or to punish you, I suppose. Nesta kept her face carefully blank. Amran went on. But I think you took something from it when you seized your power, girl. Pharaoh looked towards Nesta, her voice soft as she asked. What happened in the cauldron? Then I'm going to skip a little bit down. And they're, they're talking about the rest of the cauldron. And it says, If you were to gather all three objects, you could use the potency of their combined made essence to track down the cauldron, no matter where it is. Not to mention gain three objects of terrible power, Hasriel added grimly capable of granting even a human army an advantage against the fae. Raise the dead, Cassian mused, his face tightening, any trace of that approving smile gone. And you'd have an unstoppable force, able to march without rest or food, open any door, and you could move that army wherever you wished. With the unrestrained influence, you could make any enemy territory and its people bow to you. Silence again filled the room, and Nesta's heart thundered. And all Kashi wants is to be free from his lake, Reese asked Azriel. But Amran answered, 
no one really knows the full scope of the Trove's powers. Beyond freeing him from his lake, Kashi might very well know something about the Trove we don't. Some greater power that manifests when all three are united. And then they go on to talk about Death Lords and blah, 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 blah. Nobody cares. What's interesting about that is, um, since doing my Crescent City reread, they were talking about the star sword and the knife that uh, used to accompany accompany it. And they basically end up saying that the sword has no power without the knife. It's kind of an interesting little piece that Sarah, like, left for us to question. And right here, um, I didn't even think about it until I was reading it, and it said... Some greater power that manifests when all three are united, but we have to remember there's actually four. So what's going to happen when the trove and the horn are now together, when the sword and truth teller are together? Like, there's so many pieces here that I'm like, oh, what's going to, what, what's going to happen? What's going to happen? What does it mean? What? Are you, what? what? <laughs> okay, let's break it down. Before we get into what the cauldron, or the cauldron to what the trove is and whatever and all that good stuff. I just want to point out that Kashi starts whispering in Brielin's ear. And at that point, we were told that the trove purposely kept itself hidden or it decided when it wanted people to remember. It had some kind of influence on the collective world to kind of just like let it be forgotten for a little while until things started moving. We end up having that great line that Amran gives Reese when talking about Nesta's sword trove in Ataraxia and how, you know, fate wanted Reese to have it. You know, so it, it, it pulled all these strings to make sure that Reese got a magic sword or whatever. And I kind of, like, see that here. Like, there's, like, a... you. Know, there's like a long-winded tumble that you could go all the way back to, you know, I mean, Akamath for sure, but like, because, because Vasa, the, the, the starting point with Kashi was Vasa, so for our, our group of characters, so the human queens didn't like Vasa, and so Vasa went to Kashi, and then we have, um, you know, Lucian only go and ended up only going to the night court just so he can get this piece of information about Vasa and then he leaves to go to that lake. Like, there's this whole, like, tumbling, tumbleweed of fate and, like, things lining up and, and going down through the line. And I think it's just, like, I think this is just one of those things where, like, fate was just kind of, like, you know, fate, the plot point, you know, the plot, that Sarah is, is weaving. I guess you could kind of say it like that, but I pretend these books are real when I do these podcasts that way. I don't trip over my words as, <laughs> as much like that. But basically that, you know, things, things are lining up in, in a very specific way. And I think it's interesting that, you know, it all lines up so that Kashi, you know, remembers it when he remembers it, basically. And timeline-wise, I I would say ish. I, I haven't I have a rough charted out. I haven't done like a, a deep deep um, timeline ing of the book series, but ish ish. After Akafas, around Akafas is when Danica 
would have stolen and then stolen the horn and then died. So I kind of think that that's the tipping point for the trove kind of being awoken was what was going on in Midgard. And I say that because when Bryce lands in Perithian at the end of House of Sky and Breath, it's meant to be a few months, you know, Nyx is still a, a baby, um, after the ending of Akasif. So they have already gathered all of the trove by the time. I mean, I kind of wish I should have, I should have more roughly sketched out. I don't know. I think that it's probably around the, like, between Akafas and the beginning of Silver Flames is when Danica dies and the horn is bound into Bryce's body. But at that point, the horn was still nullified and it was hidden underneath her amulet that kept it from being found until it was ripped off her neck. So there's that. There's that little piece of information. I don't know how Kashi remembers it. I don't know why the Trove wanted him to remember it if it was just to, like, get the ball rolling. The cauldron made many objects of power long ago, forging weapons and of unrivaled might. Most were lost to history and war. When I went to the prison, only three remained. At the time, some claimed there were four, but the fourth had been unmade, but today's legend only tell of three. So I think that the trove might have been made um, around the, before or around the time of the Daglin. I don't think that the trove was made at the time of, you know, the rifts and stuff. I think they were probably made at some point beforehand or around that time. It's not mentioned when they're talking about Gwydion being made. So I... I wonder if it was beforehand and maybe the Daglin used the trove? I, I don't know. Um, I really couldn't tell you, but I, I think there's something maybe there in that because it was around, most were lost to history and war, and when I went into the prison, Amran, only three remained. Amran went into the prison before Thea and Peleus went to Midgard, so... I don't know why the horn was missing then when it shouldn't have been missing until about a thousand years later or within that thousand year period because that's when Amran went into the prison. It was around that thousand year period or right before the thousand year period. Yeah, because it was the Age of Heroes and then the High King rose up and whatnot. So there's that. But there we have other made objects that we know about. There was a made object that brought Miriam back from the dead and and made her into some type of immortal. And that is on Krita um, with them and with the cauldron. And then, you know, we could just say there are others. We know that obviously Gwydion, truth teller. Could Goldrin and Damaris be those? You know, are they made as well? So we do know of other made objects, but we don't, you know, know of other made objects. I do think that, um, and we're going to talk about it in, in a second, I do think that, that the item that brought Miriam back to life was probably a staff. But I'll talk about why I think that in a second. Before they get into the three objects that they know about, they start discussing how there could have been one other object, but it was unmade or lost or who knows? Who cares? A third, a fourth made object? Pfft, irrelevant. 
Nobody cares. <laughs> and that would be most likely is going to be the horn. And I do have information to back this up. Of course I do. But really quick, there I did a little bit of digging onto mythological horns or horns in folklore and that kind of stuff. And I really only found one one instance of it, basically, because it's it's I mean, you look up hunting horn or horn in mythology, you're not really gonna find, you know, something like this. But there is a horn in North mythology that Heimdall will wield or uses in Ragnarok to sound to all the gods and all the living beings in the cosmos that the end is nigh. You don't get to use the word nigh very often. The end is nigh. You don't get to say that very often. And it's, it's nice when you can because it's a fun thing to say that the end is nigh. Um, and what I find really interesting about that is that Heimdall is the all-seeing god. He also... Um, keep it keeps watch of the rainbow bridge and obviously we have the rainbow bridge in Valaris but the rainbow bridge in Norse mythology which I know we've discussed on this podcast before is what connects all nine realms um, so I kind of think that that little piece of information is really important especially when you put into the prophecy of you know when sword and dagger you know, reunite, so will our peoples be. And that seems very, like, rainbow bridgey to me. <laughs> Especially when you think about how Iridium, as we've talked about again on this podcast, is a rainbow-esque. It has ties to rainbow and, like, the rainbow goddess Ra. Is it Ra, I think, the Egyptian? I can't remember. It's in notes on a different podcast episode. So the horn being tied back to Heimdall, I think, is, like, it tickles me a little bit. Just kind of, like... <laughs> I like that. And the only other thing I could think of when I was trying to, like, think of other, you know, what outside world, you know, instance did Sarah get this horn idea from? Not that, I mean, she could have very well just thought of it on her own, and that's fair and relevant, but I do know that Sarah really likes her little, you know, mythology and folklore Easter eggs, so that's what I try to find. Christian revelations uh, at the end of the Bible, um, there is the sound of the horn and trumpets that like signals um, the rapture, basically. So there is that as well. But nothing, obviously no magic horns that open and shut the realms and whatnot that I could find. You guys might know something that I don't. I am, like you guys know, I, I am only very well versed in... Um, Norse mythology basically which I know like is very short-sighted I'm learning more but like it's kind of hard to learn about mythology unless you've just been like gathering those pieces for years and years and years which is what I had done with Norse myth um so yeah but in Akasif 54 we see a piece of this fourth item and it says this their kingdom was endless this is in the vision that Lanthes gives to Nesta their palace built of pure magic that lived and thrived around them. The harp sat behind them on an altar, the mask too. But the golden crown wasn't there. It rested atop Lanthe's head. And that was the snarl of the thread that pulled her out. The naked gleam of his greed. He'd seen the harp, known she was after the trove, and revealed what he would do with it. The crown he'd claimed for himself. It would have no influence over her, but their rule would be one of coercion, enslavement. 
A fourth object lay on the altar, veiled in shadow, but she couldn't make out more than a gleam of aged, worn bone. Now, I think it was probably veiled in shadow because of the amulet that Bryce was wearing, that, like, influence of the trove still being hidden, and Lanthes still remembered that there was a fourth object. He probably had seen the horn at some point. I mean, he rode the wild hunt. There was a horn, like, you know, the hunting horn. Like, that's... Come on now. I mean, like I said, it seems like the trove was made at, you know, if not the time of the Daglin, then before the Daglin, if hunting horns, a wild hunt. I mean, there's just something there. I don't have enough canon evidence to fully click them together, but I do see the parallels of them in just the nature of two things being tied together in a way. In House of Earth and Blood, we get, it's, I think it's the only time that the horn is actually ever described in what it once looked like, and that's in House of Earth and Blood 21, and it said specifically, this is when they're in Luna's temple, specifically the fingers that now curled around air where a cracked ivory hunting horn had once lain so that's all we get on like what the horn looked like before it was tattooed into bryce's body and can i just say having doing my crescent city reread the first thing that i would have done that they did not do in their investigation is figure out who did their tattoo? Who did Bryce's tattoo? Never once is that ever brought up. Like, how did that happen? Did Danica, like, give them a baggie of dust? And they were just cool? Like, can you, who, what respectable tattoo, I mean, obviously they probably weren't a respectable tattoo artist, but, like, what respectable tattoo artist would just be like, you want me to pump your friend full of this suspicious looking powder and put it into their bloodstream sure like they never bring up the tattoo artist did the tattoo artist know the language like how did dan like oh there's so many things there's so many things that i want to question like if i could just jump into the books and like just like squish her squish like get on a chair because i'm five two get on a chair and put my take hunt's face and squish his lips so he's a chubby duckling and be like you are a chubby duckling and you are dumb you didn't question any of that like that was like the main piece of their last time together and you didn't even i'm sorry i would literally continue on but i will not i will not let that There's a lot of information in Crescent City about the horn. I'm just going to, I'm going to move on because it's going to give me an aneurysm, to be honest. The horn was said to be, quote unquote, woven with the Starborn power and that only a Starborn was supposed to be able to use that. But that brings me to a whole slew of questions. We learn a big chunk of um, the first information we get on the horn in House of Earth and Blood with the Autumn King and with Rune when they're kind of doing an experiment with the orrery and how light, specifically starlight, moves through the world in a prism, which kind of seems like is trying to learn how a horn could direct light 
through the worlds and like open rifts. That's what I think was happening here. I think the uh, the Autumn King was trying to either create a new horn, trying to learn how the horn worked, or was trying to make a word key. And I think all of that is one thing, which I know we've discussed on this podcast before. <laughs> we learned the horn is called the Luna's Horn, and it was made on the world the Fae were on before they crossed the rift, and then they named it after the goddess on their new one, which is super suspicious because did it have a different name beforehand? Did they adapt a new goddess onto their new world? And is this the fae that were pro-Asteri and not the fae that were against the Asteri? Like, there's, I have so many questions on why they named it Luna's Horn if that was a goddess from Midgard or what, basically? That just, that itches me. That itches me in a way that I don't have an answer, but it's like something that I have never let go. They named it after the goddess on their new one is just so suspicious to me. Peleus was said to have summoned all of the horn's strength to banish the prince of the pit, his brethren, and their armies back to hell, plus shut the northern rift. But there is no mention of the southern rift being shut by him, which I did not notice until I was building this episode. So, as Apollyon made his final blow, his winning blow against Peleus... This is like, I I want this scene written out um, so I know exactly what canonically happened. But as the final blow was hit, Peleus was able to summon all the strength and he was able to send the prince of the pit, Apollyon, his brothers, all the other princes, and their army back to hell and shut the rift before he died, as he was dying. And then the horn was broken into two or cracked into two. We've talked about why did the, if Peleus was supposed to be starborn, then why did the horn break? But I guess you could kind of bring it back to the cauldron breaking with Amran. I I mean, I don't know. I don't know how Amran was big enough to, <laughs> I mean, plot's got a plot sometimes, you know, plot's got a plot sometimes and that's okay. If it was used to fight hell, then why did Apollyon try to hunt it back down? How was Apollyon planning on using it? Um, we learned that people ended up just forgetting its importance, including the Autumn King. And then suddenly everyone's just like, oh, we need the horn again. So there's something suspicious about that to me. <laughs> In House of Earth and Blood, chapter 29, it says, It mentions here that the sacred objects, plural, were made only for Fae like them. That the horn worked only when that starlight, that starlight, flowed through it. When it was filled with power. It claims that the starborn magic, in addition to a bunch of other crap, can be channeled through the sacred objects, bringing them to life bringing them to life. The starborn magic, bringing them to life. I sure as fuck have never been able to do that, even with the star sword. But it says that why the prince of the pit had to steal Peleus's blood to make the crystallis to hunt down the horn, it contained that essence. I think the horn could have been wielded by any of them, though, Hunt said. But if the prince of the pit had gotten his hands on the horn, he wouldn't have been able to use it unless he had a starborn fae to operate it. He nodded to Rune. 
even if whoever wants the horn now finds it, they'd have to use you. So my question is, does Apollyon have a starborn just like chilling in hell with him? I mean, that's not even the biggest piece of <laughs> here, but it says to break... I can't get over the fact that they just like gloss over the fact that it says that the starborn power could bring something to life. And they're just like, anyways, <clears throat> moving on. Okay, friends, thanks. And then we learn what the horn can do. Obviously, we have seen it in motion in House of Earth and Blood, Chapter 29. It's the um, oracle says, in a rasping voice, slithered out from the smoke. To open the doorway between worlds, a chill seized Hunt. They wished to use the horn to open the northern rift. The horn's purpose wasn't merely to close doors, it was to open them too. It depends on what the bearer wishes. So it can open between worlds, the in-between, where everyone likes to be chillin', maybe two realms, same as it could open two realms, which I actually do think is something that it was doing in House of Earth and Blood when Bryce was falling through time and through space, through light and through shadow during fun times when Hunt had filled her with lightning. So there was that. And then Declan actually theorizes that Bryce was using the horn. And we can see that in um, House of Sky and Breath, chapter 63. So Bryce goes, so you think I'm some kind of leech? Because he goes on to say that Bryce is a living gate, which I'd like to talk about on a whole different day. Um, and Dec Declan laughs. I think only certain kinds of magic, forms of pure energy, throw in the horn, which relies on a blast of power to activate it. You're a liability, Rune said darkly. Therian grunted his agreement. Declan rubbed his chin. You told Rune after the attack that Hypaxia aimed for your scar to supercharge your power, right? I wonder what would happen if you were struck on the horn. So, yeah. I'm, that's kind of where I just want to leave it. There's a, I have a whole theory on it, um, but it ended up turning into Bryce is a living gate, so it didn't get kind of finished because I ended up just getting super sidetracked in the fact that Bryce is a living gate. To move on to the other items in the trove because that's all I'm going to say on the horn as we don't have it's a we don't have like you know solid canon I mean not we do we have tons of parallels saying that the horn is the fourth item of the trove but we don't have like you know Amran opening a book going oh yeah I now remember the horn, it's a part of the trove. We don't have that. So I'm going to move on to the other three items in the trove because there's a lot to go through, honestly. The first thing that they do mention is the mask, but the first thing I want to talk about is the harp because the mythology around the harp is actually what I think inspired a good chunk of the dread trove. So there's two pieces of mythology. One I'm just going to touch on super briefly and then just like bounce away from it. And the second one I'm going to talk about in more depth. So the first one is Apollo makes a harp in Greek Roman mythology after hearing Diana's bow strings. That's all I really have to say on that. There is a harp constellation, I do believe. Again, I don't have much more to say on it. The one I want to focus most on and 
you know, we only look at the mythology and folklore on this podcast just to see the echoes of and where Sarah got her footing from. I try not to make any theories super regarding mythology because Sarah has created her own world and her own mythology, and we, we should only use the outside influence as that, as influence. But in Celtic mythology, we have the Dagda, and it is the Dagda, um, sort of similar to the Morrigan, or the Morrigan. And it comes from the, the, myth, the mythology of the, the uh, I can't pronounce it, but basically Danon, the Danons, the, the Tour de, 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 de la Danon, I, I don't know how to pronounce it, but it's basically a, a grouping of stories regarding the gods and godlike beings and how they interacted with humans from bouncing between the other world and earth basically and one of those people one of those gods was the dagda which i i only do very basic reading of you know research for and it kind of turns out that he's basically like the odin sort of but he seems to be a lot a lot less nefarious than Odin is in most mythologies. Odin is Odin. But um, Dagda did have a harp, and it was used to take the fear or of his soldiers or of soldiers to take the fear or make them forget the fear and only think of defeating their enemies. And if they were wounded or sad after battle, he would make them think of only their glories. The Dagda um, has powers. He can control life and death, the weather, crops, time, and seasons. He was told to have had a cauldron, a harp, and a staff, which is where I think Miriam, that, that maid item, might be. And he was married in the way that gods were married to the Morgan, but he did have children with other people, as I said, married in the way that gods are married, which is not to say much. So you can kind of see where the definite influences come. We have the name Danon, obviously, Rune Danon, Crown Prince of the Belbaron Vey. You know the TikTok sound? That's all I hear whenever I hear Rune's name. And then we have the cauldron, obviously, the harp, duh, and then we have the staff. But I think it's interesting that it was said to control emotions and change the seasons, which is pretty similar to what the harp can do here. A, like, same with his powers. Um, basically, everything that the Dagda can control is something that the harp can do. Life and death. We have the, the mask, and the harp can pause and time and stop death, basically. They can raise the dead. The weather, we see that the weather can be influenced. As Lanthe says in Akasif 54, the mists swirled and Lanthe's drawled, such exquisite music it makes. What wonders it spins. Everything pays fidelity to that harp. Seasons, kingdoms, the order of time and worlds. These are of no consequence to it. And its last string, he laughed. <laughs> Even death bows to that string. So, as we can see here, like, the powers of the harp seems pretty similar to the powers of the Dagda, this omnipotent, I wouldn't say omnipotent, because he seems like he was part of a crew of gods, but a god of, in this mythology. So, that's where I think that the 
idea around the dread trove must have centered because i mean as i said with the with the horn same with the mask and the crown i couldn't find any like direct mythological imprints like there isn't a i couldn't find a mask in mythology at all like any kind of magical mask i couldn't find like a magical crown really to so to say um like in like mythology and if there are please dm me i'd love to know but i do see this harp and we also have a harp or a vol a vol a I don't know. We had that, the Weaver's song that does mention, like, at first light and how they make, they create, like, they take, like, the bones from the sister and create the musical instrument. Like, there is that. I don't know, like, how, d how deep I would look into it, um, because I do know that it is a real song or derived from a real song, so I'm not sure, like, how much of that I would say is foreshadowing for the Dread Drove, but I do, I do see it and I do, I do twitch at it, but I don't twitch much. I do just go, and then I kind of let it go, you know? There's sometimes when you're just like, is that a coincidence? Or is that a Sarah coincidence in which it's not really a coincidence? But speaking of that, um, the Weavers song, it says like they turned their sister into the, the violin or vol or whatever it was called. And the harp is sentient and calls itself a sister to Nesta, which I think is kind of like, oh, interesting. Maybe someone was turned into the harp. But then as we saw with Rune, he said that the starborn magic could bring things to life. You can't see me, but I'm like blinking at the microphone. Like, mm. And the harp, when it's talking to, to Nesta, it says that we could strum things into being, which also mirrors what Rune was saying with the Starborn magic. Um, it's never said what it could strum into being, what it's talking about, if it's just saying that it wants to strum in, like, you know, not chaos as in, chaos as in void, but like chaos as in like, you know, discord, like, they could use the harp to create trouble, like, that could be something it's trying to say, but I also, like, I kind of, like, cringe, because I'm like, what do you mean you can make things? What are you talking about? What else have you, what have you made before? But we do see what it looks like, and it looks like it's golden, and it's embossed with intricate designs, but it's never actually described what those designs really are. And it's set with silver strings. And it was in a temple room, or a room that mirrored the temple that they have in the House of Wind, with stars and constellations etched all around it. The harp was likened to the sun, the center of a solar system. The sun is a star. Did you see my TikTok? Am me losing my mind over that today? Because it happened. It happened today. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The sun is a star. So, all of this sunlight, uh, golden sun, in, you know, the day court being tied to the trove, the trove being tied to the starborn, the sun is a star. The sun is a star. Nyx, when they're like, all that iridescent light filling him as a baby, like a sun, like a little sun, it's because the sun is a star. 
in chapter 55 when Feyre glows with all that starlight and they're like, oh, must be from the day court. And it's because the day court is, is a star. It's a day star. A star in the day. The sun is a star. You should watch the TikTok. If you don't know what I'm talking about, you should watch my TikTok because um, I'm a lot more subdued right now. It's because I've become a numb mush pile. But uh, yeah, the sun is a star. <laughs> do you know how dumb I feel about that? You don't, but I do. I feel so dumb. So the harp was last used and last left in the dust court from... <laughs> In the dust court, the sun is a star. It was sitting on top of an eight-pointed star. The, it says that it was directly on the heart of the star, which anytime I see the heart of in SJM, I kind of like, ooh, I twitch a little bit because I, I'm always immediately brought back to what Manon calls um, in the, when she's describing the symbol of the three-faced goddess it says the dark heart within her so anytime i just see like see heart i always am just immediately brought back to the three-faced goddess and the mother for some reason and typically it always has something that could easily go back to the mother and the three-faced goddess nesta then sees gets a vision with the, when she touches it and we all know that this is what I think was the last time that the harp was used to close the gates between Midgard and Perithian. But as for what, what do we know exactly it can do, we can only see that it has winnowed and can pause time. Nothing else has really been confirmed with it, but we do know that it has 26 strings and that the 26 strings are seem to be a direct reference to the 26 realms. So I'm assuming the harp can manipulate each of the 26 realms. We don't know what all the 26 realms are. We've talked about that on the podcast a million times. But I do think that there's one question that is left about the harp that I'm actually really curious to see what it means. And it says, well, it seemed like it take three strings. She didn't want to know where all 26 strings might take her if strummed or if someone made a melody, which I think is fascinating because there's only one person that I know who knows how to play like a stringed instrument and that's Tamlin. Doesn't to say like, you know, I, I just, eh, you know, just gonna leave that there. Just gonna, you know, plop that information there and kind of walk away. The next piece of the trove that I want to talk about is the mask. Now, again, I don't have any piece of mythology to kind of give us a jumping point, so I'm just going to move right into what it looks like. And it's golden with a golden glow, and it's embossed with whorls and patterns so ancient that they lost all meaning. Again, they aren't described, but we could, if we wanted to, say that the cover of Akasif is maybe like a canonic look at what the mask is meant to look like, but I do have a piece of um, information I acquired fairly recently thanks to TikTok and following Brandon Sanderson, though I have not read his books. I do like to just follow his stuff because one day I'm going to read his books and I like his content and I like the things he has to say. But he was talking about a continuity error that they had on one of his more recent books. A character is seen holding a gun, even though in the books, this character is vehemently opposed to guns. And he said, it's just a continuity error. It was an error on my part because I had just kind of given him notes. And 
the artist is great, but he hadn't been able to read the book yet. Sometimes cover artists aren't always able to read the books before they create covers for them, and it's kind of up to the author to give clear instruction. So there is a sun. You know, if you look at your cover of Akasif, there is a, a big old sun with 10 rays on it. I did count for this episode. Um, but it's never said that there is a sun on it. So, you know, it could just have been like, this is what the author had heard that the tro that the mask might look like and kind of just took some artistic liberties having not read the book. You know, we don't know what Sarah might have told them that is truer. I don't know if Sarah had anything to do with it. I do know this because I'm, of course I know this because I'm insane, that they do use a, I think they're, they're Scandinavian. I'm pretty sure they're Scandinavian tattoo artists who have done the covers for the Akatars, the new covers. Um, they're, ta they're tattoo artists. They're super cool. Sarah loves them. Um, she does, she did talk about the cover changes in a and on a podcast you can still find if you look up Sarah J Mass um on Spotify or wherever when podcasts you can find like what episodes she's been in highly recommend she is a hoot and a half to listen to there's she's got a lot of stuff to say nothing like she doesn't ever drop any plot points she doesn't say like this is going to happen in her books she doesn't like you know someone will say something about a character and she's just kind of like mm -hmm. like I know things you don't, and you're like, you're just like, Sarah, what are you talking about? But that's kind of it. She, she never gives anything, like, really big, but they are interesting in the way of I'm insane, and I will consume any media that this woman is a part of. <laughs> so that's what I know about the covers. I don't know if they've read them. I don't know how that works. I don't know if she's just like, this is what I want on the covers. Do you have a design for this? Like, blah, 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 blah. But... She could have told him that there might have been a sun on it because, as we learn, I'm kind of skipping around, but in Akasif 41, Helion sees the mask and muses that maybe one of his ancestors once used it and is now warded against his blood. Again, the sun is a star. I need that, like, tattooed on my forehead or something. So, the, the trove is like I said, constantly likened to sun. It's golden. I, for some reason in my head, I, you know, before I had realized the sun is a star, I always thought it was really weird. I was like, I figured it'd be like silver or black, you know, like something more like attuned with like the night court and starlight, but dusk, dusk is orange, dusk is red, dusk is golden, you know, it's not, it's, ah, oh, it's pink and it's, floaty and like like pretty kind of like <clears throat> that is the most intrusive thought theory i've ever had in my entire life i'm just gonna say it, but you guys can't judge me or take use this against me in any kind of way but dusk is <laughs> i shouldn't say it why did i immediately think of the lesbian pride flag it's june i'm allowed to say it it's pride month Literally, they're all dusky colors. More's a lesbian. More for High Lady of the Starboard of this the the dust court. It's on her flag. It's canon to me now. <clears throat> I shouldn't have said that. What is wrong with me? Someone needs to take this stupid microphone away from me forever. 
So it does make sense that if it if if as Rune says, you know, the Starborn were the ones who were supposed to be able to wield the trove, which you know, I don't even know if that's even true or if that's just what he's thinking or or if there's different objects that we don't know about and somehow the horn just kind of like fell in with the trove somehow. I don't know. Um I guess it would make sense that it's like golden and glowy cuz it's golden and glowy at dusk cuz the sun is a star. <laughs> I can't believe it. But we do learn that it was molded to the face of a long-forgotten king. You know, first glance, you'd want to say it was the first king of the first and only high king of Perithian. Um, but I feel like if it was him, we probably would have had that information. He's not really forgotten at all. So again, it makes me think that this trove was created long before. Um, the Midgard and Rifts and all that stuff. This was something that's been in play for quite a while. When Nesta puts on the mask for the first time in Akasip 36, she says that it's a cold magic and it longs for this, it just says like home. It just like, it kind of like whispers to her. It says later in the books that it was like a whispering, like a chilled breeze and it was longing for home and that it was either sighing to her that it was, she was home or she, it was continuously like, I kind of looked at it in a way of like the books, the book of breathings, like telling Feyre to like, like they wanted to be home. They like meant to be together. They wanted to like be with the cauldron kind of thing. So I don't know if it was Nesta that it was really talking about or to, or if it was telling her to bring it to wherever it needed to be. And I'm so curious, you know, in a parallel universe, in the multiverse, there is a, a storyline because I don't know if you guys, you guys know about multiverses, how like there's a universe for every decision not made or whatever, basically like in one universe, purple is green. In one universe, Akasif was about Elaine. <laughs> and I'm really, I, I know it's just because I have an obsession with Elaine, but I'm desperate to know how the trove will react or does react to Elaine. Like, w would it love her? You know, would it, you know, this, the trove seems to kind of like toy with Nesta, like kind of like push her, see what she'll do. I want to know if it would do that with Elaine or if it would just immediately like love her the way the cauldron loves her. And I'm kind of, you know, in a way, it's interesting to me that the trove even let Nesta use it because Nesta was never supposed to have her power. She stole it. And I, I mean, I know like stolen power is still stolen power, but it's, it is interesting to me that it, it was fine with a thief as the cauldron would have called her. But, you know. That's just, that was just, that's just me like, ooh, doo -doo, off in Neverland. Anyways, I said I was going to be to the point today and I'm not. When Nesta puts the mask on, she becomes death. And yet, death still bows to the harp, even though the harp and the mask are supposed to be one and the same. Which I find interesting. It's never talked about. I don't know what it means or why. I just think that's interesting. If, you know... If the trove was made for four different people to use in tandem with each other, like maybe one was up, like higher up than the others or something like that. But again, we don't really know that kind of history on the trove. I wish we did, but we don't. Something that I find kind of interesting, again, that I question is like, these aren't really theories. They're just questions I have um, regarding continuity in the SJM universe. 
but they talk of trying to unmake or destroy the mask, and then the, they decide that they can't or shouldn't because of what happened with the cauldron. But then why and how could the horn have been broken slash unmade? Does that, like, like, nothing happened. Like, did anything happen when the horn was broken? I mean, the horn that can close and open doors between worlds and rifts, and when it was broken, just nothing happened? I find that super suspicious. Like, really suspicious. And then I just want to point out that the mask is what seems to allow, like, once Nesta has the mask on, there was an another being looking through it with her. And so it seems like the mother has some kind of, like, tie to the mask, seeing as the mask was in the Ord, and then the mother was talking to Nesta in the Ord. Though the mother did tell Nesta to run away from the mask. I don't know, but it just seems interesting that when she puts on the mask, the other looks through with her, and we kind of learn that the other is the mother. I'll say that ten times fast. And that's kind of all I got on the mask. We don't really know much of what it can do other than it raises the dead and they can walk. We don't know if it has any other abilities, if she could maybe commune with the dead, if she could find someone dead. Like, we don't know anything other than it can just, like, make people walk. <laughs> I mean, that's kind of an oversimplification, but basically. But I'm curious to see if, like, could she find someone in the dead realm? Could she uh, talk to the Underking? Like, you know... There's more implications. Can she see death? Could she stop death with it? Like, there is there more there to it? And I'll talk about my theory at the my theories on the the trove at the end here. But there's I'm gonna leave it there. Okay, the crown. I don't have much to say on the crown to be honest. We don't learn much about it um, other than I have some theories regarding the crown. But and there's nothing again that leads me straight back to mythology, except for, do you guys remember when we did Lydia's bedtime story that she does with Rune, and I had brought up the story of Zigurd and the Volsung saga? Um, if you don't remember, that's totally fine. Um, if you, I, again, I highly suggest listening to the very good version of it, not my, my version of it, um, and listen to Myths and Legends. They do a whole series of it, and it's it is my favorite mythology story of all time. Um, but basically, in the beginning, Zigurd slays and defeats a dragon named Fafnir. And I'm only saying this because I like to say the word Fafnir, because it's fun to say. Try saying it. It's really fun. <laughs> um, and Fafnir has a trove in which Zigurd then raids after he has slain this dragon. And the he gets a helmet, or a helm, and it's meant to, like, it, it instills fear in people. But, and loose. That's so loose. That's so bad. I, if anything, again, I would just bring it back to, I think Sarah created three objects to kind of mimic what the Dagda could do. And yes, it's not lost on me, Dagda, Daglin. Mm -hmm. Anyways, moving on. All we really know about the... the um, crown in SJM lore is that it was a simple golden crown, again golden, with three spikes and I think it, yes I do think that there is some foreshadowing maybe in the 
the the tiara thing that Nesta wears to the Court of Nightmares. It had like those spikes on it as well. So I think that it is interesting that there are two two versions of it, kind of, um, or just like foreshadowing the crown. And all we know is that even nature could be influenced by the crown. Um, at the end, on top of Ramil, there was a storm that was raging and then Briellen comes and she just kind of like wishes her hand and it clears up. Um, so I, I think it's, I think it's fascinating that the trove can kind of all do the same thing except also not at the same time. I just, you, you know, I, I love Sarah J Mass. I will never ever knock against her, but I do wish that there might have been a little more clear lines because the crown can influence nature, but so can the harp. The harp can stop death, but the crown can also do, I mean, the mask can also do stuff with death. Like, uh, it's kind of, like, the horn can open up things. The mask opens up, I forgot to say that, um, the mask does open up doors and wards and summons Nesta to it. So, like, it can also open up doors and wards. Like, there's no clear what they can and can't do, and they don't test it, which is fair. It's, I probably wouldn't test it either, but it is, you know, for someone who's trying to get a clear, like, analytical, go-too-deep, um breakdown of her universe it is like hard for me sometimes because I'm like well this can do the same thing that that can do so I'm kind of confused and then obviously people are influenced by the crown um she can make people do what she wants and turn them into her slaves that's all we know that's all we got on the crown you know Nesta wears it for like half a second and that's it I want to talk about my my theory that the trove is basically word keys, which I think we have touched on, and I'm just going to touch on it again. Um, the amulet of Orinth, which held a word key, was able to influence good outcomes for its rulers. Um, and I think that it's kind of insinuated slash half said that um, Arabin, like, was such a successful you know, king of the assassins because he had the amulet in his possession. And then when it was, ta when he gave it to Aelin, that's when his, that's when he fell. That's when his reign fell. So I think it, there's that. Um, and then in Era Fire chapter 59, Maeve says that the word keys could wield a dead army. An army of the dead. And all of Tower of Dawn was about you know, not all of it, but a huge chunk of it was talking about the dead and the dead city and how they locked away their dead so they couldn't be used again. Sounds like, sounds like the man's doing. <laughs> and then obviously the word keys were used to open up other worlds and possibly, possibly even realms. Um, and whoever had them was all-powerful omnipotent. They could do whatever they wanted with them, though we never get to see that in action. Again, you know, Aelin, when she has all of them in her possession, she got burnt out, basically. But that's just because she put them back in the gate. She made them. She made the word gate again, or something like that. I, that's something we could... I want to do a whole chapter breakdown of that scene. But to be honest, I might cry through it, so I don't know if it's a good <laughs> 
Um, so we don't actually see the word keys used in there. I mean, I guess to be fair, like, you know, we we're just talking about how the trove can can make things, strum things into being with the word keys, like Erwin, he had two in his possession at one point, um, to remake, bring, because the wyverns were gone, waverns, because the waverns were gone, they were supposed to be gone, and yet he brings them back to life and creates his own army of them basically he creates his own creatures into being that aren't just like valg like from his world like he does create his own other valgies so there is that and then i have but one oh actually i have one theory on the trove and that is and i i have a tiktok on it i don't even know i might have talked about i don't know if i've talked about it. I, I need like a list of things i've actually said on this podcast but i to do that, I'd have to go back through and listen to my voice. And my voice is like nails on a chalkboard to me now. Um, I can't even like, I barely can even watch my own like older TikToks. Editing this podcast can sometimes be like torture. <laughs> but I have this kind of theory that each one of the sisters will end up wielding an item of the trove. And that is because each white sister technically could have gone looking for the trove. Feyre could have, but she was pregnant, so she didn't. Elaine offered to do it, but Nesta said no. Nesta did go looking for it, did find it, could wield it. So all three sisters could, in theory, wield the trove. So Feyre, who is a Demeti, the crown, has the power of... basically is the power of a Demeti, except she could now, you know... Who, who knows what else she could influence, especially with her power. Could she influence the realms? Like, um, Brielin was able to influence nature. Could Feyre as well influence time, influence space? Could she create, you know, with her Demeti powers? Like, Reese, there's like this line in, um, I think it's in Akamath, this is, I'm pulling this right out of the top of my head, so I, I don't know if this is right right when it is, but they're talking about Volaris, I think one of the first times, and he's talking about the, the High Lord who created the wards around it. And Feyre says, like, with his power... What's the direct line? Like, with his power, he could see all the way back in time to that moment, like, seeing a vision of what happened in the past. Could, if Feyre had the crown... And she could influence time and, like, mind visions to many BS. Could she do that? Could she, with wielding the crown, could she use her Demeti power to reach someone's mind on another realm or, like, on another planet? Like, there's so many things that, like, could happen when you have, when you put two pieces of something together and it just explodes exponentially with all of this power. I'm not trying to say that they're, you know, they they make the Dread Trove out to be the Dread Trove, so I don't know if they would actually ever use it, but the mask has these eye holes, and it's supposed to be like, kind of like the balance of life, life and death. We don't know what else the mask could do, but it seems like it could probably do something else if it, you know, I, in my theory, I think that it has more potential to it. 
Elaine is the seer. You know, she seems to have this, you know, she's a gardener. She's the grower of things. She is hope incarnate. You know, if she puts on the mask, could she see the dead realm with her visions? Could she, like I had said, could she talk to somebody in a different realm? Could she summon someone to her from the dead realms you know there's so many things that could happen especially with her seer ability and then nesta wielding the harp nesta is always you know into music she when she's training she trains to music she moves her body to music she's a dancer like we have these threads of fate like we have no idea what power she has left and what that power can do will she actually train this bit of power i hope so I'd be kind of frustrated if she didn't. So, like, wielding the harp to, you know, unlock and open doors and, and to other realms. And then now we have the horn. And it's my theory that the horn can also manipulate realms, which I think is kind of said. It can open in between. Um, is there more that the horn can do than that we've that we've not yet seen. The The issue with Bryce is um, is the same issue I have <laughs> with Nesta, to be honest, is that neither of them actually train. Bryce starts training a little bit in um, Hofas, in Hofas, in, Ho- in Hosab. Like, she trains a little bit her shadows, she trains a little bit winnowing, but, like, she never actually trains her starlight. And it seems like, with everything that Ru- Rune was talking about, that there is more to the starborn power. It's not just blinding people. Like, it can do more. It was feared. It was powerful. They could go up against Apollyon. I don't think, I think Apollyon would just put on a pair of, you know, aviators and just, like, flick Peleus off the map. Like, (laughs) they fought for three days. I don't think it was just light that was stopping the man. He would put an umbrella over his head. Like, they're not... I'm just picturing a Polyon with, like, aviators and a ball cap, like, tucked down with, like, a sword in hand. <laughs> oh, it's too late in the day for me to be recording. <clears throat> so, yeah, that's what I'm trying to say, is, like, there's so much more untapped potential. We've only dipped our toe in, and... I am glad because, like, it is building blocks. Like, I do like building blocks and I like gathering my information. So, like, we're using this knowledge that I've gathered for us today and that we've discussed today um, that is going to be built on top of in the coming books and stuff. And I just, like, I'm so fascinated. Like, I mean, I'm, I'm hoping that they'll, like, you know, maybe Bryce will even get to go to the prison to ground zero and maybe, like, her starborn tinglies will tingle like runes does when he was like around you know the books and stuff and he like that's what draws him to stuff like I think that maybe you know something's gonna happen with Bryce in the way that Helian was like I can you know he has a an extra sensitivity towards the mask um so like maybe that's gonna happen with Bryce I'm you know on top of that all three well except for the crown the crown didn't seem sentient but again we didn't have much time with the crown but the harp and the mask were sentient, could talk. Does the horn talk? Does it have an agenda? Is it sentient now that it's brought back? And, you know, it was, um, that's what I'm looking for. You know, it was broken, killed, I guess. 
and now it was brought back to life, is it embedded with, you know, through love is all is possible magic? You know, is it now, if it had an agenda before, is its agenda now changed because it was made by, you know, in rice, like rice's goodness and light and unicorns and fluffy otters, like (laughs) croissants and whatnot, like embedded into it now? Like, did the opposite happen? Or is it corrupting Bryce? Because it's in her. It's in her bloodstream. It was a tattoo. Tattoos go into your blood. Like, and she's a living gate on top of that. A living gate with the horn that's ability is to open doors. Like, (laughs) there's so many things it could mean. I'm sure I'll have far more thoughts on that, which again, I am going to talk about. I will write it down right now on my list of episodes to make is Bryce is a living gate. Because there's so much to say on that. And it literally like gives me, it's 80 degrees and I have chills right now. (laughs) Okay. That is where I'm going to leave us today. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you for being a part of this journey. (sighs) I'm happy to have this episode done. I'm happy to have looked at all the information. Just like, just like what the harp and horn and and the trove item looks like. Again, the sun is a star. Oh, it's so frustrating. Again, I, I'll just explain. I'll explain a tiny, tiny bit. So I I was doing podcast notes and I was looking at something. And then, I, oh, I was looking at, this, this, so, this goes so deep. So Hypaxia is the one who figures out that synth is what would um, heal the horn, basically. And I was looking at her when she was, like, trying to find the antidote for Synth, and it was, like, talking about her power and how the venom from the Crystallis demon, like, turned gray. And I was like, ooh, I wonder if Erwin turned gray when Yurene unmade him, because that's basically what she did, and we'll talk, we could talk about that some other time. But, so I went back and looked at chapter... 113 of Koa and literally it was like she was filled with like iridescent light which is starlight like starlight and then which is said like throughout all of Tower of Dawn like they liken it to like starlight and blah blah blah. but they always say like like starlight and then pure clean as day and I was always like this is so frustrating this like what does that mean what is Sarah trying to tell me what is she trying to tell me why don't I understand why is like Farrah Cursebreaker always tied to like Helion and like all this stuff and like saying it's Helion's power that she had gotten and like it drove me insane because I didn't understand and then I was looking at it pure as day starlight pure as day and my brain goes hey Lil and I was like yeah looking at the book, talking to myself, as I do. Um, do you remember, you know, in, in elementary school, probably? Yeah, I mean, vaguely. I only have brief, brief, small memories from that time in my life. Um, do you know, like, when we learned about the solar system, you know about the solar system, right, Lil? Yeah, yeah, I've, I've actually been researching a lot on the solar system, thanks to Sarah J. Mass, like, learning that there are, like, Vanith is a planet, and, and stuff like that, or a moon, or something for Pluto. And, oh, cool yeah so you're learning about the solar system yep mm-hmm. and constellation all the time yeah oh i'm learning all sorts of stuff it's so much fun i'm gonna be great at trivia by the end of the sergeant mask being done writing books mm, okay you can't see my my hand but i'm actually pretending i'm holding a book as i'm doing this because this is exactly what happened this is a, this is a whole train of thought that really happened 
Um, you do remember that the sun, you know the sun, right? Yeah, I see it. It's shining right now. Isn't that great? Yeah. Do you, do you know that the sun is a star? And then my book fell. The sun is a star. Yeah, the sun is a star. The sun is a star. Yeah. So you're telling me that, like, Brannon, Mala, yeah, mm-hmm, stars, all that star paraphernalia, all the ties back to, like, Bryce and stuff, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The sun is a star. Yes, the sun is a star. So, like, all the time that they're saying, like, pure starlight as bright as day, it's because daylight is starlight, essentially. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. I don't know what else, I don't know what to do with this information that my brain gave me, the sun is a star, other than it makes sense now why they would say, like, starlight as pure as day. It's because it is pure daylight is starlight. It's just star day. Day starlight. <laughs> I'm so dumb. It took me almost two years. A, over a year and a half, for sure. For me to piece those in, that two pieces of information together. I mean, I have to think on it far longer than just a few hours that I have. But basically, like, Helian having, you know, so many ties to the Dust Court. And, like, the Dust Court's power being, like, pure starlight bright as day. Like, it all, like, does connect together and I'm, you guys know me you know I've done like you know I've looked into the, the mythology of like Helios and like looked at you because know, he he rides a black stallion in mythology and like of course that's why Melian is black like there's like there's like layers and layers of course I've I I have done research it's just like you know that information the sun is a star is just something that's like so obvious you know it's just something you know and, like, I knew it, but I didn't, like, it didn't click for me. And now I'm, like, so dumb. <laughs> so basically, like, you know, I don't know. I have some, like, theories now after that knowledge has clicked into place, like, regarding the solar quartz. And, like, maybe there's a reason why they're always, you know, tying together. Like, they, what do they say when they are in Akawar? Uh, like, for, like, going into the High Lords meeting that the solar quartz courts always end up siding together and like maybe that's just because they're all like different branches of <laughs> I don't know I don't know that's just like I'm I'm still reeling like I'm 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 surprised I was even able to put this podcast together after my my meltdown <sighs> so yeah thank you so much for being here and being with me on this journey because it is a it is a journey it is a journey and um, I'm just so thankful for each and every one of you for, for being with me and for listening. And I love, I love this little corner of the universe we've gathered for ourselves. And I hope you guys have a wonderful week and I will see you next week. Okay. Goodbye. <laughs>